Amen. Well, thank you to our worship team. And Sophie, it was so good to hear you sing today and lead us. Thank you. I just, man, we're so blessed here, aren't we? Just so much awesome giftedness. And so thank you for sharing your gift, all of you, this morning. I want to invite uh, Crosby to come. And many of you know Crosby. If you don't know him, um, yeah, you can welcome him and clap for him. Um, Crosby serves with a, a ministry here in town with uh, InterVarsity on the Chapman University campus as well as in Santiago uh, up, in, up in the hills there. And um, uh, he's one of the, our missionaries that we support. And so I just asked him to come and, and give an update uh, at what God's doing here in town. So, yeah. Wonderful. Well, good morning, y'all. So the beginning of the year is in full swing at uh, Chapman and then also at SCC, and God's been doing some really cool things. So the beginning of the year, it's always a really exciting time for us. Studies have shown that college students are more uh, interested in trying new things during the first six weeks of the school year, more than any other time in their uh, time in college. And so we hope that one of those new things that they try is Jesus. And so the beginning of the year, we spend a lot of time doing outreach on campus and events to get the word out and uh, build relationship with new students. And so that's what the past couple of weeks have been. And one of the reasons why I'm particularly excited about this new school year is our community, uh, students and myself, we've been praying over the past five months that God would bring a fresh vision and a, a new kind of leading and a new scripture for us in our community that we could pray into and that we could be on the lookout for how he wants to guide us. And this year, we have felt drawn to the scripture of Isaiah 61, and it's a scripture all about Jesus, about how he restores broken things and about he brings everlasting joy and raises up, uh, student, or raises up people uh, to be his ministers in, unto the nations. And that has really formed our community vision this year as we have uh, been praying that God would bring a community that is full of joy in the midst of a university culture and a generation that's characterized by anxiety and loneliness, that God would make whole people's lives and the broken things in their stories, as well as that he would send students out on campus to be agents of that healing to their friends and agents of that restoration on campus. And even though school's been in for three weeks or two weeks, uh, we have seen God do just that. This past week, we uh, had our first worship and prayer gathering, and this is a gathering where it's primarily student-led by our student leaders, and it's a space where folks get to come explore who Jesus is as well as grow in their spiritual life. And I just want to tell a quick story about a student that I met there. So it was at the end of the gathering, and I was talking with him, and he seemed really eager, and I was asking him a question. I was like, hey, how did, how did you hear about tonight? How did you get connected? And he, I was expecting the name of a student to come out of his mouth. It's like, oh, Michaela's been inviting me. I met her so-and-so, right? Well, he says, I saw your flyer that was just on a coffee table in the bagel shop on campus, and on your flyer, there's a big phrase that says, real hope. And I was curious about what that meant because I'm looking for hope. And so I came here and I think I found that tonight. Amen. And we're eager to walk alongside that student as he learns about who Jesus is and how to grow in his faith. But I think that's just a small fraction of what God wants to do this year. And so I am excited. And because of that, I wanted to thank all of you for your generosity, for your prayers, for your support, because stories like this, they don't just happen on campus. There's a community of people giving and praying to make them happen. So thank you guys for that. And I also wanted to invite you into continued partnership. So you guys know that the things of God, God's purposes and plans, they don't happen unless there's a praying community behind them. And so the first way I want to invite you guys to partner is by praying. At the beginning of the year, pray that God would bring those who are curious to, about him to him. Pray for our student leaders as this is a really kind of uh, energy-intensive time for them as they're just learning how to be ministers and how to lead Bible studies and things like that. And also pray uh, that God would give us fresh wisdom and discernment as we figure out how to walk alongside uh, new students on campus. 
So you can pray. And the second way I want you uh, to invite I want to invite you to partner is through just partnership in general. So some of you guys, you guys have hospitality gifts. You love to host. Uh, you love to provide a meal for college students, love to volunteer, those types of things. These are all ways that uh, our ministry is kind of sustained on campus. College students, they love free food. And they love uh, people who are willing to invest in them, particularly folks who aren't other college students. And so if you're interested in doing something like that, or if you're interested in uh, scholarshiping some of our students to camp, which happens in the beginning or mid-October, um, I'd love to talk with you. So come and connect with me after, uh, after church today, and I'd love to, love to talk to you. Thank you, Crosby. Before you sit down, I want to pray for you. Uh, I was just thinking as you were talking um, and kind of tied into the song that we had about believe, and it just didn't even dawn on me. It was like this whoa moment. But, you know, we've been praying for Chapman for like 20 years. I mean, as a church, because it's, it's, the, the university is here in our community. And I remember like more specifically in the last 10 to 12 years, just asking God to give us the, some ability to to share there, to be a light there, and whatever else. And um, it's just amazing how over time how God answers prayers. Like sometimes you think it'll be like a team and we'll all go and, you know, and, and do something brilliant. Or I don't know, you know, that God will give us a creative idea. But here the Lord sent you and Maddie, and he's called you to that campus. And um, your ministry is an extension of things that have been happening for years. So yeah, I just wanted to share that. And, and in his uh, call to prayer, I would just double down on, like, let's believe God for greater things on that campus. You know, maybe you'll find yourself in the circle just having coffee or something. And why not take a walk a little further down? It's a beautiful campus. And they're very friendly. They don't mind if you walk on the campus. Walk and pray and trust God for greater things. Amen? Um, so we want to pray for you now. And, and I also wanted to thank you and Maddie for teaching Sunday school. That's yeah. no small thing, right? Um, yeah. So along with their busy schedules, they're, they're imparting into the lives of, of your children. And we're grateful for that. Maddie, we're grateful for that. So yeah, let me pray for you. Father, I thank you for Crosby and I thank you for Maddie. And I thank you, Lord, for their hearts for you, their willingness to serve, um, not only calling people to come and serve, but modeling it. And so we just bless them in their ministry. God, I bless Crosby as he is a light on that campus, Lord, as he um, is faithful with the gifts you've given him and the time, Lord, that he invests in teaching your word and discipling young people and empowering young leaders. God, I just bless him and I pray that you'd continue to fill him to overflowing, that, that what he gives, he would find himself giving out of a, a place of full, not out of a place of reserve. So thank you for your Holy Spirit that fills us with all that we need and thank you for his um, example to us of using his gifts well. So we bless him now in the name of Jesus. Amen. 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 Thank you, man. Um, while we're on that, the subject of missions, I, um, I, I had just a couple of really cool updates, and we'll have, we'll have more um, with some video and stuff, but you guys might remember, it's been two years now, but you gave generously towards a renovation of a kitchen in Guatemala, um, that there are, are um, children that are being rescued from, you've heard Corby Dukes, who, sh who shared here before, but children who are, are rescued from horrendous situations, and here this ministry of Oasis is not only a children's home, but really revolutionary in the nation of Guatemala that, um, that they have started foster care. And so for, for this nation, and people would say, oh, well, Guatemalans wouldn't really do that. Well, they're doing it. And so, um, but it's, a, it's an amazing thing, and I don't, I don't want to spend all my time talking about it. I could easily do it because I feel passionate about these things. But what I wanted to say is that they were, they were feeding hundreds and hundreds of kids out of this sort of, um, I don't know, just like a, a non-commercial kitchen, right? But not complaining or whatever else. Else. And through your generosity, they have beautiful, like big, giant, stainless steel commercial uh, equipment that's in there now. And you can see the, the lady who's in charge of the kitchen, the joy on her face as you see them rolling in these giant stoves and fridges and freezers. And that's to, um, to your generosity and the goodness of God. Um, secondly, I, I was on the phone um, just Two nights ago, uh, with a, a FaceTime with Charles Victor, who's in India. You've heard Charles speak here, but they have a, a ministry, and they've been there for, geez, I think over 15 years now. 
Um, but they have a, a plot of land and a school that they've built there. The school is for kids that otherwise wouldn't be able to be schooled, you know. And so they have about 20 kids, and many of them with special needs. And so um, he, he showed me through the, the, um, the campus and the beautiful classrooms and um, the specific thing that you guys gave towards. And maybe you didn't know, but we were able to bless them with $10,000. And he said, here's the new van that we have. And it's right next to the other van. And you as a congregation bought both of those vans. And so I just wanted to encourage you in that, that transportation's a big deal. And then the, the last one, and... and um, I'm sharing these things not as a boast, okay? It's like a boast in the Lord and your generosity, but I think it's important because when we say, hey, we, we, we want to pray about how we're spending these resources, this one is really awesome. How many of you know that in the developing world, um, infant mortality and, and, and a, a mom's life is often on the line in the birthing process? And so in Monrovia, Liberia, um, there's a missionary that we support here, Dale Van Steenis, funny, funny man who just loves God and networks globally. And, um, and so we said, Dale, we, we want to give you some money. What's God doing? And we had a, you know, Jubilee. We had a resource that we had money to give away. And so we said, um, he said, I have this project in Monrovia. They've built this beautiful birthing clinic. It's, it's, they, it's staffed with midwives, and they have some nurses through their, a large church that's in that area. But he's like, it's like $7,000 away from completion. And so we were able to go, here's $7,000. And so they finished that. So... That's just awesome. And so I just wanted to share that. And then the last and final thing you may have seen in today's email, and um, I think an email went out on Thursday too, for um, 50 years, Foundation for His Ministry has been in operation in Mexico, um, all throughout Mexico. They have several locations, but many of you have been to Baja, where we went to a children's home to do various projects throughout the years. Um, They have a, 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 a situation that we have here as well that when children that are in the system go through, um, they, they age out, you know, at 18 years old, it's kind of like, okay, go for it. And so here you are at 18 years old, um, completely vulnerable to things like trafficking and whatever else. And so they answered that call for the system and they created a home in Tijuana where um, they can take young girls and give them job skills and discipleship and love on them and protect them from some of the horrendous things that we see in our world. And so we, we got behind it. We, we had our, our church van. We're like, here, take the church van. And then we're like, oh, man, we don't have a church van. And someone gave us one. Isn't that cool how God does that? But um, we gave them our van, and then they, they recently um, shared a need for toiletries. I'm like, we could answer that call. Don't you think we could answer that call? Toiletries? I mean, come on. And so, um, so there's a list of things that, that we would love to see you all donate, and we're going to collect them all, and then some of us are going to go down and, and distribute them to the young women. So um, pay attention to the, your, your flyers and emails, or if you go out to the information area, you'll see a list of things, just like shampoos and lotions. I saw, I saw on the list it said lots of lotion, right? So, uh, so at any rate, um, you can imagine with a house full of young women that those needs, I'm sure, are probably great. So at any rate, um, those are some areas where you can give. Amen? All right. Yeah. There was... You might have also seen um, in the info area that we're starting our, um, our series in the Gospel of John, and there's these great uh, single book um, of the Bible um, volumes that you can get, and they're in the ESV, which is what I'll be sharing from. And so I don't know if there are any left, but we plan on having them out there as a resource to you that as we go through this study in the Gospel of John, we encourage you to, you know, there's nothing like your Bible. Am I right? Like your Bible is just so important. I encourage you, if you don't have one with paper, this is called paper, and, um, and you can write on it and stuff. And so um, it doesn't take a battery or anything. You don't have to charge it. It's alive. So, so there's nothing like it, you know, and I would encourage you to have your volume of scripture that you make notes in and record special things because it's just so special. And whatever the translation that you enjoy reading, um, you know, we're not going to go at length about which is the best one because who knows. But, but we just, um, for the sake of this study, if you want to be on track with the same um, translation, we're teaching out of the ESV. And so we have that there. And what's cool about these books is they have little uh, areas in the margin where you can take notes. And so uh, we're not making any money off it. We're just giving it to you for what we paid for it on Amazon. You could order it yourself on Amazon if you want. It's like seven bucks. So at any rate, um, if you want them, maybe you can let us know by signing up. Or, or I don't know if we... 
We have it? Okay, cool. Lisa said it's already been done. I should have known it's already been done. So, um, so there it is. Gospel of John. Are you guys ready for this? I'm so excited to, to open up the Gospel of John, and um, I have to warn you, I've been reading it, I've been studying it, and uh, I was telling Pastor Scott, like, you get full of so much information, and you just want to, like, it all out, you know? And so I'm going to do my best today to give you an overview of this book, because I think it's important to study God's Word. Would you agree with me? Yeah, it's important to study it. I think that... Um, you can read it devotionally, and that's very important, too. And what I mean by that is in the morning, we open it, and we read it. And, and aren't you grateful? You can pick, like, one verse, and that verse can just come alive to you. Um, and, and I would never discourage that. We should continue to always do that. But there's another place in just um, sort of camping out or studying his word and finding that there's layer upon layer to discover about the wonder of his word. And so in the Gospel of John, to start this study, I thought it was important before just diving in verse by verse to do my best to give you like a 10,000 foot elevate, you know, like to look down on the big picture of the book, right? And so um, would you like me to do that this morning? Okay, you have to say that, you know, it's like, would anyone say, no, I really would rather you just do something else. But um, the Gospel of John is um, a book that I'm sure you've read if you follow Jesus for any length of time. Um, it's often, I was sharing with somebody earlier, it's the book that often, um, if, if somebody is curious about Jesus, you know, you'd say, hey, read the Gospel of John. Um, there are many people, maybe even in this room, that through reading the Gospel of John, you came to faith in Christ. Because the message and the purpose of it is really clear. Um, many of the books of the Bible, you, you look for the purpose and you can kind of do sort of detective work in the, in the epistles and go, he's addressing this issue or that issue. The wonder of the Gospel of John is he lays it all out right there. He says, hey, this is the whole purpose of the book is so that you, you might know him and that you might believe. I'll get to the specific scripture in just a moment. So it's a, it's a book that's designed to help you believe. And that through believing, you would have what? Life, right? And, um, and I would venture to say, and I believe it's 100% true, that the only way to be fully alive is to be fully alive in Christ, Right? That you, you see a world that's looking for happiness, a world that's looking for um, just something of purpose or, or whatever else. The Gospel of John answers those big questions. And, and so um, as we get into it, one of the things that I'm grateful for is that we can get into Jesus. And that's my hope is that um, whether you know him or you're sort of looking and weighing out what it might look like to follow him or you're curious about him, regardless that you would know him more as a result of what he says about himself through the lenses of John. So um, just right out of the gate, uh, a few things about the Gospel of John. It's widely believed that it was written by the Apostle John. Um, there's, as with any book of the Bible, there's some disputes. It could have been written by somebody else. But historically, for many, many hundreds and thousands of years, this is not hundreds of thousands, but hundreds and thousands of years, um, people have, have assigned the authorship to John the Apostle, the same one who wrote some of the New Testament letters and who wrote the book of Revelation. And so um, he is the, the one that is referred to in this book as the disciple whom Jesus loved. Isn't that cool? That you could look at that in all different kinds of ways. Like, well, that's arrogant. Um, but there was something about John's character that I take him as one who was settled in who knew him and who loved him. And that was the basis for his identity. What would that look like for any one of us to be like, hey, you know, my name's Danny. I'm the follower that Jesus loves, you know? Maybe I wouldn't introduce myself like that, but do I believe that? Man, I, I feel like I'm about to cut to the chase of the end of my sermon right now. And I'm just going to do it because I, I, I think it's the, like the, the takeaway. The takeaway is that you are the disciples that Jesus loves. He loves you. And, you know, I, I know that that can feel like self-helpy, right? Like, no, no, man, give us the meat. I'm going to give you some meat, but I, but I want you to know that the basis of your identity is that you are loved by God. And you can hear that over and over again. But my hope is that you would really not just hear it, but that you would believe it, that you're worth it, 
that you're worth it. That when Scripture says that famous passage, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that that he had you in mind. That when Scripture says, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sits down now at the right hand of the Father, he had you in mind. You are the joy that was set before him. May that just shape your whole identity. And if you don't hear anything, I pray that you hear that. And I'm going to circle back around to it. The Gospel of John is a, is a different Gospel than the others. How many of you know that the other Gospels? Just say them out loud. Yeah, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Those are called synoptic Gospels. That just means that, that the, they sort of see each other. That, that you could read them in parallel. That the, the events take place in very similar timelines that... The way that it's explained is there might be various details that are a little bit different, but they could be explained by different eyewitnesses. Much like if three of you looked at the same event, maybe a car accident that took place in the parking lot, and you gave your uh, eyewitness account to the police officer, and one of you said the the car was uh, red, and and the other one said the car was brown, you know? Uh, It could just have to do with the way that you saw that situation. Um, So the, the synoptic gospels are much like that. But John's gospel is, is totally different. Um, it's actually been termed the maverick gospel. I thought that was dangerous, right? You're about to read the maverick gospel. Um, not as funny to everybody as it was to me. <laughs> it's maverick because it, like, it stands alone. And um, there was a, an ancient theologian professor in Alexandria, um, Greece, who had this quote. And the, the quote from um, uh, Titus Flavius, I think you know him, but uh, he's just well, known as uh, Clement of Alexandria. Um, he says that, that John took great care to write a, a historically accurate gospel. It says it here. He was concerned with the details, and he wrote a spiritual gospel. What does that mean? So he's concerned about the details, but he writes a spiritual gospel. What that means is that the details are straight, but he sometimes mixes the order of things. You can read John and go, hey, wait, I thought Jesus cleansed the temple towards the end of his life, not in the second chapter. But John is often trying to bring a spiritual meaning through a historically accurate event. Make sense? So as you're reading it, you don't have to go, oh, what's, what's going on here? When you read, again, in the second chapter, Jesus goes in and, and cleanses the temple, for example. Um, it's different in, in other ways as well. Its, it's order is different. Um, and um, the second part of this whole deal is that he uses some, some things that are, um, if, you, if you weren't looking for it, you might not see it, but he uses irony, right? So as you're reading through it, you can see some ironic things. Like, for example, early on, you're going to meet Nicodemus, who's the teacher of Israel. And Jesus even identifies him as the teacher of Israel. But the, the teacher of Israel, and they're doubting Jesus' teaching, and they're doubting who he is. But the irony of the teacher of Israel comes to Jesus, the teacher, at night to be taught, right? Things like that. Um, you have Pontius Pilate, right? You, you, you know that Pilate is very decisive. This is what we do. But the decider is indecisive. There are several different things that are like riddles. And so you get this sense from John as a writer. He's, he's not just um, coming right at you with things, but he's sort of leading you along. Um, I'm going to read the, the first, few chap- uh, first few verses of the first chapter in a moment. John could have said things like, hey, uh, Jesus is God and he was there from the beginning. But he unpacks it in a poetic way. And the idea of doing that is it, it brings you as the reader along to, to just like, listen and follow and then go, oh. And you get like these big ahas. And those big ahas stay with you. And so he's, he's into that kind of stuff. Um, so here I have a slide for it, but if you're a, a, a big picture person, I thought it was important for you just to sort of see the structure. Any book of the Bible that you want to study is, is written in a, in a structural form that you could sort of outline or you could say, hey, it's doing this. And then there's usually like a turning point where um, things change and then it takes a different um, sort of tone. But here's the structure. It begins John 1, 1 through 18 with a prologue and it's, it's either a hymn or a, a poem. And that's the in the beginning is the word. The next, um, the next part. And, and by the way, if you look at there's like a prologue and an epilogue. There, it's like these two parts are like bookends to the meat of the gospel of John. The first part, again, that hymn telling about who Jesus is. The last part 
um, which is debated if it even belongs in the book, which I certainly believe it does, is John chapter 21, where Peter is restored. Do you remember that? Peter, do you love me? Feed my sheep. And, and so they're like these two parts that um, almost could, it could feel like they don't fit unless you see the big picture and you realize they all fit together. The, in the middle of the prologue of the hymn and, the, and the, in the epilogue of Peter's restoration, you have a book of signs, right? So John 2 through 12 is about these signs. And I call them signs because the Bible calls them signs. They're miracles. And then they're described as signs. And these signs are designed to help you believe and to reinforce that Jesus really is the Messiah. And there's order to all of it. Again, if you weren't looking, you might not see it. But there's this theme of sevens, right? And so there's seven signs. And they, they look like this. I think we have a slide for them. Um, do we have a slide? I think they're, it's there somewhere. I might be out of order. I so apologize, you guys. Um, there's seven signs. And then, the, before, yeah. Uh, those are the IM ones. There's another one that's signs. We can jump. Through. There you go. These are the miracles. The first one is Jesus. Thank you, by the way. Sorry I threw you off there. The, there's the miracle of Jesus turning the water into wine. There's a miracle of healing the royal official's son. He heals a disabled man. He feeds the 5,000. He walks on water. He heals a blind man. And he raises Lazarus from the dead. One, another one of those ironies, right? That the, when he raises Lazarus from the dead, at that moment they plot to kill him. So the one who raises from the dead is then plot, there's a plot to kill him. Each one of these things, as we read them and we go through them, you're going to see that they're not only wonderful miracles. Like how many, how many of us just want a miracle? Miracles are amazing. How many of you ever seen a miracle in your life? Like look in the mirror. You're a miracle. Our breath is a miracle. Life is a miracle. But these miracles also have a, a deeper spiritual meaning. For example, when he heals the man that's born blind, it's, it's a meaning and an irony there that the blind man is the only one who could actually see. And then here are all these people who could see. They can't even see who, who Jesus is. And he speaks into that. Do, does this, do you get into this stuff? Man, it's cool. So those are the, the seven signs. The second um, part of the book is um, the book of glory. And the book of glory is, is where you'll find that, um, that, that Jesus... Um, says this statement, prior to it, my hour has not yet come. When he goes to do his first miracle of turning the water into wine, he's like, whoa, pause, my hour hasn't come. At the book of glory, when it changes in that, after that 13th chapter, he begins to say, okay, my hour has come. And the glory that's come is he is then fulfilling his mission to suffer and die on the cross for the sins of all mankind, to glorify himself through obedience to the Father. And then, as I said before, you have the, the final um, statement, the epilogue. So, yeah, so there's, the, there's kind of the big picture. Um, and let's get into that first chapter because I'd love to read this to you. And um, I'd, I'd love for you to just kind of allow the scripture to soak over you and, and see Jesus, hopefully in, in a new light, maybe to see some things that you've never seen before. Are you ready for this? Let's do it. John 1, starting in verse 1. It says, in the beginning was the Word. Can you think of any other book of the Bible that starts like this? You can do it. It's okay to say it out loud on church on a Sunday. Anyone? Can you think of any other book in the Bible that starts like this? Does anyone feel uncomfortable when I address you and ask for a response? I can sort of see it on faces like, do we talk? Does he mean it? Um, Genesis, the very beginning, and right out of the gate, the intent is for you to help see that he's doing something new. Just as, as he, was, he was creating the earth in this moment, that there's something of new creation. There's something of a, of a whole brand new thing that's happening that's connecting Genesis to John. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. And all things were made through him. And without him... Not anything was made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man who was sent from God whose name was John. And he came as a witness to bear about the light that all might believe through him. 
He was not the light, but he came to, wear, to bear witness about the light. And I think you know this, but the John that he's talking about is not John the Apostle. It's John the Wild Man Baptist. John the Locust Eating, Dreadlock Having, John the Baptist, right? Um, I, I always think he has dreadlocks just because why wouldn't he? The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But hear this. But to all who did receive him, who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And this is awesome. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory as the glory of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. Every time I read this, I, I see the, um, the message translation where Eugene Peterson in his translation says, the word became flesh and moved into the neighborhood, right? Like Jesus became one of us. Verse 15 um, John bore witness about him and cried out, This is he whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses and grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one ever has seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. Uh, I'm not going to take time to do it today, but even in there, there's some, iron, there's some um, riddles that are happening um, about who has seen God and who hasn't seen God, and we'll, we'll get back into that at a later time. But um, as, as we read through that, the thing that I'm taken with is that there's a common misstatement for, for those that oppose the Christian faith that will say, Jesus never claimed to be God. Have you heard this before? And it's almost like they want to get into an argument with you and say, show me one place in Scripture where Jesus claims to be God. Has anyone ever been in that situation before? And, and I think the Gospel of John really helps you go, it's right here. All throughout the Gospel of John, Jesus claims to be God. Um, he, he says it clearly that he was there in the beginning of time, that the Word became flesh, you know, and then that... that, that, that He's one with the Father. But if, if that alone wasn't enough for you, uh, for, for anybody, then he makes these like really remarkable statements. And he makes seven of them. Everybody say seven. Seven I am statements. You, you ever recall hearing I am anywhere else in Scripture? Do you remember at the burning bush where, where God introduces himself to Moses? Now, there's debate about this. And, you, you know, you can find where you want to be in the debate about what the actual words are saying in Hebrew. But the, the, the translations that are here, what we have before us, helps us to see some things that even beyond the debate, it's like, how, how, how could it be anything else? At least in my humble opinion. Jesus says these I am statements, seven of them. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the gate for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. This one's pretty big. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the true vine. There's seven of them. And they have this I am that's attached to them. And so as I, I, I was hearing the Gospel of John, and by the way, I've done a lot of listening to it. Because sometimes my eyes get tired when I read a bunch. Anybody else like that? Especially these days. It's like I used to read like this. Now I read like this. It's weird how that happened. But in, in listening to it, and, and you might do this. There's a free app you can put on your phone. And you can, even if, you, if you're annoyed at the person who's reading, you can just you can change their accent. You know, it can be a male that reads to you, a female that reads to you. It's brilliant. But, and, and you can listen to these Gospels. You can also um, Point, push play and speed it up a little bit and follow, like have somebody reading as you're reading. It helps engage multiple senses. These are just some little things. But as I was doing that, um, you know, these things stuck out to me. But there were two moments in, in the gospel that really speak to the fact that Jesus is God. And that's first in, in John chapter 8 and um, verse 58. If you want to turn there with me, it'll also be on the screen. As you're reading through it, this series, you're going to hear these words, truly, truly, 
Or in your translation, it might say, verily, verily. Or, or some, something to that effect. It's like the, this, this double statement of, hey, listen to what I'm about to say. It's important that you hear it. It says, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Woo. So they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. Why would they pick up stones to throw at him? Because according to Leviticus chapter 24, when somebody blasphemes, you just take care of them with a stone. Like you just... Then secondly, in John chapter 10, verse 30, this one's huge. He says, I and the Father are one. That's quite a claim, wouldn't you agree? I and the Father are one. And you could try to like get around, well, what he meant was this or meant was that. But do you notice in 31, something similar happens, not just similar, the exact same thing happens, is that the Jews picked up stones again to stone him. So whatever he was saying struck them to the core so much that they're like, he just said he was God. Nobody gets to do that. And they were so uh, offended by that that their gut reaction was to follow what they found in Leviticus chapter 24. Um, by the way, there's only one screen because we like this side better. <laughs> I noticed some of you were seeing the wires that are over there. That's exactly why. No, it's hopefully we'll get back from the shop soon. If you turn to um, John chapter 12... In verse 23, Jesus, um, he, in this point, he, he answers his disciples. He says, Jesus answered them, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. And there again, you see that truly, truly, or verily, verily, I say to you. Unless a grain of wheat falls to the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it. Whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. For where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will also honor him. He goes from the beginning of, of declaring, like, this is... This poem of who Jesus is. Jesus is God. He goes through doing signs to prove that he's God. Showing seven times specific things that he really does historically. But he also uses them as a springboard to show that he's God. He makes a claim that he's God by making these seven I am statements. And then God, who became one of us, flesh and blood, moves into the neighborhood. Then follows through and glorifies the Father through total obedience as we read through what happens from this point forward of how he gives a farewell speech to his disciples, preparing them for the things that are ahead, preparing them for their purpose and their call on the earth when he's gone, reminding them and showing them that he's the way, the truth, and the life, and no one can come to the Father except through him. He endures the, the mockeries of a trial, the, all the false accusation, and then he goes the distance on the cross. He dies on the cross. He's buried, and he raises again, conquering sin and death, and where we know that he sits down at the right hand of the Father. And this is sort of the whole picture of the book. But then it comes to this 21st chapter where he has like his guy, right? One of his inner circle people, Peter. And if you remember of Peter's life, Peter is the one who's so gung-ho. Peter's the one who speaks before he thinks. You know, some of you might relate with that. Um, and and you're, you find a lot of comfort in Peter in the Bible. He gets it right when he's right. He's really right. When he's wrong, he's super wrong. Anybody ever feel like that? You don't have to raise your hand. Peter gets it real wrong. He doesn't think that he would ever deny Christ, and yet he does. He makes the big, colossal mistake, right? And then you have this beautiful picture of Jesus, the one that I just described to you after having done this whole earthly ministry and lived out his life. Then, then he restores Peter and, and then releases him into his mission on the earth. So, so I say all of that 
to kind of lead you to this last point, right? And this last point, it just struck me. And I've, I've learned to pay attention when just something simple from Scripture strikes you. Um, don't, don't, like, walk away from it, but return to it and sit in it for a while. And in light of all these things that um, this book is, this big picture, this, you know, journey through Jesus' life, I want you to look at, at John chapter 8 and verse 29 and 30. It says, and, and he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone. For I always do the things that are pleasing to him. And as he was saying these things, many believed in him. And, and forgive me if, I, if I'm taking liberty here, but I'm just going to share what, what happened in my spirit as I read these things, you know. It says, for he... Oh, excuse me, it says, for I always do things that are pleasing to him. How, how many of you could say that? How many of you could say, like, I'm always pleasing Jesus? Like, it made me think of um, maybe something that we've got a little bit wrong in the way that, that we look at our relationship with God. Maybe, just maybe, we have it like our winning days and our losing days, right? Like our win days... Like, we're winning big time if we got up, like, 5.30 and read for a half hour and it made sense to us. And not only did we do that, but we listened to worship music. We didn't say any bad words and someone cut us off on the freeway, you know. And we, we might look back at that day and go, man, I'm winning big time. Like, I prayed extra and I think I really pleased Jesus today. Anybody ever feel like that? Come on and just shamelessly raise your hand if you've ever felt like that. All right, thank you for your honesty. Just the few of you. The rest of you should repent for the lies that are... No, I'm just kidding. No, I, I think it's built into us as humans. Like, and and it, it, it runs deep. It runs deep in us that, that you know, we don't, we don't want to, um, to do the wrong things. And so sometimes when, when you're like that, when you, you might, you know, worry that you're not going to please God or you're doing something that's wrong, it's like you're on an, a little bit of an unstable foundation. And what I believe that God wants to impart to us today and much through the gospel of John is that if you believe you are on a very solid foundation, a very solid foundation, and from that base of that, of that foundation that you're on, you get to, for the rest of your life, grow into your relationship with him and act more like Jesus. And it's not a start-stop. And sometimes I've heard it that way, where it's like, oh, I failed, now i got to start again. There is an element to that, and we read about that in the rest of the New Testament. There's, there's this journey, and we got to keep on going. But the point I'm trying to get at is this. It made me think of Jesus' baptism, right? And what did, what did the Father say when Jesus was baptized? He said, hey, everybody, it's me, God. This is my son. I love him, and I'm what? Well-pleased. So he's pleasing God, and God is pleased with him. And do you remember I, I shared with you a, a life-changing um, understanding of the Trinity, that, that in that moment of Jesus' baptism, you see the Father who is saying to the Son, I'm well pleased. You see the Spirit descending like a dove. You see a picture of this whole Trinity. And I asked you the question that was asked of me. Where are you in that circle? Do you remember this? And the answer to that question is that you are in Christ. So somehow you are a participant in the divine nature of God. Okay, so follow with me. If all that is true, and Jesus did what was always pleasing to the Father, and the Father was pleased with Jesus, where are you? Where are you? It's super hard to admit it, and some people will say, oh, that's an abuse. You better be careful. You're going to entitle people to sin. This is, the Bible speaks to that. But if we really would stop for a moment and think about that, because of Jesus, because of the wonder of this gospel, you are always pleasing to the Father. What? On a bad day, because of Jesus, you are pleasing to the Father. There's a famous theological word called propitiation. You're all propitiated. <laughs> he did it for you. so that. And I've heard it said this way that that when God views you, he views you through the lenses of Jesus. As though he puts on the Jesus glasses and goes, yep, 
And that's not like he could ever take them off, right? There's so many problems with that metaphor that I just gave. But, but do you understand what I'm saying? And, and so uh, what, what someone would want to push back on would say, okay, well, you can't tell me that I'm always pleasing to God because then I'm going to do whatever I want. But Romans 5 addresses that, doesn't it? talks about all this grace that God gives. And it says, hey, so should you go on sinning because God's pleased with you? Certainly not. The message is not a feel-good message. I don't have my book for sale out there or anything that's going like, to give you five ways to have a better life. It's, it's not a feel-good in that way. It's a reality of Scripture that if you'll understand this foundation that you are already loved by God and accepted by Him and unconditionally you're, he, is, he likes you, He's pleased with you. Like you begin from that place, you don't have to waste your time trying to appease God. That's what pagans do. That's what, that's what other religions do. It's like if I just sacrifice enough, if I give enough money, if I walk enough of that um, path on hot coals with glass at the end, then maybe I'll show him and that, I'll, that he'll find pleasure in me. If I sacrifice something into that volcano, maybe that, then I can show that I've appeased that. Are you tracking with me? You don't have to do any of that. From a secure base, you can follow him. You can follow God and you can learn the ways of Jesus. Here's what it says um, in Ephesians chapter 2. It says about you and about me. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. And we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Verse 4 says, But God, rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he has loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. For by grace you've been saved. Where are you? It's going to tell you even more, but where are you in this, in this beautiful circle of God being pleased with the Son, the Son that's doing the things that pleases the Father? Where are you? It says that you're together with Christ and by grace you've been saved. Man, you could spend the rest of your life trying to understand grace and you wouldn't have enough time. You wouldn't have enough time to be, to be able to realize how wonderful that it truly is. The hymn writer, my sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought, my sin, not in part, but the whole, was nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, oh, my soul. Knowing that God is pleased with you and you're pleasing God makes it well with your soul goes on to say, for by grace you've been saved, and check this out, and raised, he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show us the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. You will never be able on your own to please him. But in Christ, it's already done. You're all propitiated, right? Now you haven't said that word twice. Now you can go look it up. For by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It's the gift of God, not a result of works so that anyone may boast. And it goes on to say you're his workmanship created to do good works in Christ, which God's foreordained for you to do. How do, you, how do you receive this? How do you live differently? Why does this even matter? These are things that I hope we can work out in these next several weeks. Man, I plan to take my time in the Gospel of John, and I hope that you're okay with that. Because it's rich, and I want to fall more in love with Jesus, and I hope that you do too. That if I think I know him, there's more to know him. But I want to do it with you from a secure base. I want to do it from a place of knowing who we are in him. Because when you're secure in the love that he has for you and the finished work that he's done for you, 
you will want to participate in the second theological word, sanctification, right? From propitiation comes this posture of sanctification where you avail yourself before the Lord and say, hey, I'm already loved, I'm already chosen. No, but, but, but where you, you say, God, I know I'm loved by you. There's nothing that I can do. And, and out of that secure base, I want to live for you. I want to act like Jesus. I want to I wanna live like this stuff is true. I want my new normal to be what the scripture says about me, not what I say about myself. Amen? And so as we, we come to a close, I'm going to invite the worship team to come back up and they're going to sing a song. It's funny, I asked Ben if we could sing it because I thought we sang it, but maybe I've heard it because um, I only listen to worship music. So maybe I heard it when I was listening to worship music. But um, this song, it just says the name of Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, you make the darkness tremble. Jesus, Jesus, you drive out fear. And the, the, you can see the words on the screen. They're, they're powerful words. But of all the things that I said, and hopefully maybe some of it stuck, of this study that we're going to engage in, this big picture of this book that we're going to study that has structure to it. It has a poem about Jesus, who he is. It has this book of signs, these miracles that he does to really reinforce who he is. So if you don't believe his words, at least believe the things that he does, he even says about himself. And then you see that the, the story will change to a place where he's been kind of talking about it and now his hour has come where he will glorify himself through obedience to the Father on your behalf so that you can be in Christ and be pleasing to God because he's already pleased God on your behalf. John, 1 John um, 2, 2 through 5 uses this word that I've said a few times. It says, he is the propitiation of our sins. It means he did it on our behalf. And not for yours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Propitiation, sanctification. He's done it for us. We're secure. Now we respond to that security by doing what he asks us to do. For whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar. John's pretty straightforward. Um, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. And by this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk the same way in which he walked. May we learn how to do it through this gospel of John. And you might be hearing all these things and, and wrestling with this idea of God being pleased with you. The one thing that it says throughout the Gospel of John over and over again, in fact, it's repeated, I think, 78 times. This word, believe. You'll hear it over and over and over again. He, through this structure, presents who he is. And the response for you is you're either going to believe it or not. But for the one who believes, sorry, 71 times, pastors always, always give a little more, right? How many people were at church today? Well over 200. That means 201. So <laughs> the response is to believe, to trust, to have faith, right? This is how we respond to his unfailing love. This is how we begin the journey of walking with Jesus. It starts with hearing what he says about himself and believing it. Amen? Amen? Can we just stand together and respond to some of the things that were said today? Let's respond to him. Um, let's let this song be an anthem of belief and let's honor Jesus for who he is. Will you guys lead us? And then I'll close with a prayer. Jesus, Jesus.
space, I just want to be faithful to something I believe God just put in my heart. And the word that came to my mind is insecurity. There's many ways that you could look at that word, but specifically, insecurity about the way that, that you see your faith. Maybe some of you in this room, you feel insecure about God's love. You feel insecure about your standing as a Christian. And what we tend to do when we're insecure is we overcompensate. So that means that we'll, we'll fake it or we'll pick like one or two things that we know and we'll overemphasize those things so that we feel like we're measuring up to all the other really good non-insecure people that are in the room. I mean, at the end of the day, I think the secret is that everybody has a bit of a struggle with this insecurity. It's part of our humanity. And I think that part of what God wants to do in in healing our hearts is that we don't have to fake it. We don't have to overcompensate, but we find our full security in the fact that through Jesus, he's pleased with us. And from that place of security, we're able to grow. Insecurity really kind of hinders our growth. It, it, It keeps us from being true and honest before God and with other people. And I think one of the greatest freedoms that we find in our faith is being known, that we get to be known by God. And as we learn to trust the community of his people, his bride, the the church, we actually get to be literally known by other people too. And that's where we begin to grow. I think that's the heart of this message is to find security in the one who loves you, who accepts you, who's forgiven you, who's paid the price for you. And that, that God sees you so much more complete than you see yourself. He knows you. God, I pray that you would release freedom over your people in this area of insecurity and how that might plague so many areas of our lives where we have this exhausting job of overcompensating or or flexing in this area or that area. God, would you free us of those things and would you help us to just start at this home base? where we're loved and accepted by you. And from that secure place, we can continue to grow as followers of Jesus. John 20, 30 and 31, it says, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, And that by believing, you may have life in his name. Lord, I just speak a blessing over your people today. Rekindle our love relationship with you. Remind us of that first love. Remind us of who you are, afresh and anew through this gospel. And for anyone that's in this room that is yet to believe, God, I pray that you would stir their hearts, that you would draw them into a place of of accepting these truths about you and about how you see us, that they too might have this life and this life to the fullest. Bless them, God, on their journey. Bless your people today. Heal us, God. We, we, we welcome the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. It's in the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen and amen. Amen, amen. God bless you.
And the end.